Hey y'all, thanks for checking out Hour 1 here on the Thursday, April 6th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Summers Podcast. We got a two-hour show for you guys today. Hour 1, we've got Fangraph's John Taylor. Yeah, it's Thursday, so that means John Taylor is here to talk all things Major League Baseball. We have baseball to talk about because it was opening week, and we got into some overreaction takes. We invented, uh, uh, what do we call it? Uh, not takes. What do we call this? Oh, take graphs instead of fan graphs uh, because fan graphs John Taylor was here, and uh, this is going to be fun to do uh, all season long, take graphs as uh, John and I workshop. Um, some fun Major League Baseball takes. Uh, Pirates bullpen looks pretty good. Uh, stolen bases are up. Are, is the ball juiced? It's popping uh, right out of the gate here. Early pitch clock um, reviews. Dodgers and Phillies deep dive here. Um, Rays, they're for real. The Red Sox, they're terrible. The Braves are going to be just fine, but they probably want to move around this order a little bit. Just Matt Olson at the two spot. It's just, I don't like that long term. Like Matt Olson, he's great, but the. The 50% K percentage right now and the home run or bust and just how Acuna is at the top of the order. I I don't know. I've been moving around. So we get into all that um, here on Hour 1 here on the Thursday, April 6, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. So thanks for listening. And if you're not already a subscriber, please make sure that you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And if you already are a subscriber, uh, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If that is how you're listening, watch us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. And as always, if you have any mailbag questions you uh, have in terms of Major League Baseball, you want to answer it on the Thursday show here with uh, John and I. You can email us your MLB questions at chase Thomas podcast at gmail.com. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, up there in New York City. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was clean. Like it, it's nice, isn't it? You know what's going to happen, though? What's you're going to walk around. You're going to be like Jerry Seinfeld um, when he has the hello, but you're going to do it with your girlfriend, and she's going to be like, why do you keep calling it New York City? Why are you saying oh, she, it like she, that? She, she knows about it, and she's a fan of it. We're both... Since we're both uh, we're both what we do in the shadows fans so. oh so she knows that you do this yes. on the show yes okay. this this is a this is a safe this is a safe space for that does she listen to the pod i have no idea actually oh yeah i don't know interesting my wife does not listen to these shows well she has to she has to hear you all day yeah so. that's that's fair that's kind I don't of know the if thing I want it like my dad listens religiously to all of them and him getting the the take so he he's gonna admit see he's gonna hear that i said this but 
he has the power rankings and he'll always let me know which like where the power rankings are and his favorites and not uh as much of a favorite my mom doesn't listen so it's just it's uh it's weird you never know who, you nev- who's you never, out there you never do know but I'm, I'm glad you're getting the home support though yeah exactly John Taylor, yes. week one, Major League Baseball is just about in the books here. Um, when folks are hearing this on Thursday morning, uh, we'll be a week uh, officially into the new baseball season. It's amazing that it's here. All kinds of great stuff all week long. Now, many are saying that the Atlanta Braves are uh, for certain going to be the best team in the National League many all season long. Uh, I might be pitching for them at some point uh, this season uh, based on where things are going with this starting rotation. But look, when you sprinkle that Braves dust on you, then anything is possible. So we'll see uh, if I could do that, if I am called upon, John. But I want to yes. start here. Your okay. first week. And yes. I, I feel bad talking up our starting pitching because we'll get into the Red Sox and that starting pitching uh, situation mm. in Boston. But uh, down the line here, first week. Biggest overreaction take. Like you're forecasting, you look at the starts. It could be a player. It could be a team start. It could be just a a thing that you've noticed just with a particular team. Your biggest week one overreaction is what? Ball is juiced again. Oh, no. Yeah, that's... I I mean, look, I, I... Who knows? But I think that... Maybe maybe this doesn't qualify because I don't know if it's necessarily an overreaction to say the ball is juiced because, mm-hmm. you know, through one week of play, we've seen a... Uh, Mike Exis at CBS Sports wrote about the home run rate, how it's pretty similar to 2019's in the early going so far. 2019, obviously, the big juice ball year. Mm. I think the the problem with trying to make a take out of that or, or even discussing it is that, per usual, as mm. you know, has been the case the last several or the last few years now, we have no idea what ball MLB mm. is using. We don't know what they're doing to it, and the league itself will simply not be transparent about the ball or the condition of the ball or how the ball is being made. So it is a perpetual X factor. Uh, We just don't know until the season starts whether or not the ball is going to be the one that flies out of the yard all the time or the one that is just kind of dead like last year's. So far, it seems like we're getting a lot. It seems like the ball is livelier. Uh, Of course, we're going to have to wait to see, you know, and, and this is the case with everything when it comes to the first month or so of baseball. You just you have to wait and see. You have to mm. wait and see how things play out. But obviously, you know, at least from the early going, there's been a lot of home runs. Mm-hmm. And some of that is just because the Red Sox are forced to play games <laughs> and they're just going to give a bunch of them up. But there have been a fair number of home runs so far. And it's a little, I think for me at least, it's that sense of like, you know, I am immediately just going to suspect that MLB has monkeyed with the ball again. Mm -hmm. And I think if you want to go full conspiracy theory for it, it would make sense that they have because what they want, I think, in in concert with uh, the shorter the pitch clock and the shorter game times with, you know, the bigger bases and and limited pickoffs and more stealing with the advent or with the the demise of the shift. They want a game that has more action in it. And to Mm -hmm. that end, I think it would make sense to have a ball that is livelier in that regard Mm -hmm. how do we prove it i mean we can't really i mean every year it seems like now we get a piece uh looking at the physics of the baseball and what the actual baseball is made out of and whether or not it you know rates compared to one year or the other but i wouldn't be surprised if the league has once again done something with the ball or at least introduced a ball that is a little livelier than what we were seeing last year but yeah who who knows but otherwise i mean i think I mean, I think if you're looking at, a, at an overall league-wide picture, I think the the kind of overreaction du jour right now is we're going to see like a record number of stolen bases this year. And I don't hmm. necessarily know that that's true. I just think that stealing bases has become 
at least from the initial, like, you know, from the first week of things, it does seem like Celia Base will be easier, slightly. I mean, that we, uh, I don't, I think this was at least through yesterday's games, uh, MLB teams had posted the highest success rate on stolen bases, I think, in league history. It's something like hmm. in the low 80s percentage-wise. Um, I will be curious to see how that holds up over the course of an entire season, especially given, you know, how managers will be theoretically adjusting to it, how base runners will theoretically be adjusting to it, you know, whether or not it's going to incentivize more running, whether or not it's going to do something else. But it it definitely does feel like something has changed appreciably when it comes to stolen bases and, uh, and just how much running and, or at least how easy, how much easier it is to steal. I think the next thing to see would be, are the number of attempts and opportunities going to go up as well? I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case. I mean, I think for sure we're going to see more steals this season than we probably have in a good long bit. Um, Ben Clemens wrote an early takeaway over at Fangraphs about stolen bases and pretty much made the point that with the lack of the shift and with the limiting on pickoff moves and especially the pitch timer too, or the pitch clock, which also uh impacts a pitcher's ability to hold a runner on this is probably going to look something more like the 1980s in that regard Mm. with something more geared or at least i imagine that would be mlb's ideal is something geared more toward contact and speed uh except of course now with you know this era's power both in terms of pitching and and hitting so it's it that'll be interesting to see is is how that all plays out but i don't think it's an overreaction i i think i think this is i don't even think this is an overreaction that the rules that mlb has introduced have so far worked at least if the aim is, if, I mean, if you look at the various aims, make the game go by faster or make it shorter, whatever you want to call it, 100% the case. Games are down like half an hour on average from last season alone. You know, I think we're averaging like two hours and 40 minutes a game, which is absurd. There was a Mets-Marlins game uh, last night, or Sandy Alcantara started the finish in just under two hours. You know, that's something that happened maybe once a year uh, in previous seasons. It feels Unless like Greg Maddox was pitching. Yeah, and that's that feels like something that maybe we now get more, or at least closer to it, games more in that two-hour to two-and-a-half-hour range as opposed mm-hmm. to consistently being three hours and above. Uh, in terms of the stolen base, all the changes made to the bases with pickoff moves, with you know that has obviously had an impact. Uh, the pitch clock obviously affects both of those, and that has clearly had an impact. I think it's what's good to see is that hitters and pitchers seem to have adjusted pretty quickly to it. We're not seeing much in the way of violations for for not being in the mm-hmm. box or not being ready to throw a pitch. So outside you of know, your Red Sox though, they had a crazy one. They had a crazy a, one. That but was I, a terrible call. Like he's staring. I don't, I still to this day don't understand what he did. I, who was up in that situation? Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Was it over the weekend where he, Oh no, facing, I must've missed this. I think it was, I mean, they were in red. When did this, when did the Red Sox were red at home? Is there a specific, specific day? Like when the Braves were red on Friday nights? Usually it's Friday, but they wouldn't have played on Friday. Okay, so maybe it was Saturday um, when they wore it, but it was in the top or bottom of the night. It was the Orioles series, and yeah, because he was facing, and then they said it was he was not ready, and he was like staring right. Like it was one of those. I forgot who was up for the Red Sox though, where they called strike three, and he was facing um, the pitcher. I don't know who was on the mound for the Orioles at that particular moment, but. Um, yeah, I I think I want to say though it was the same night they had the walk off home run over the Green Monster. So that that would have been Saturday, but yeah, I think um, it was Saturday. Yeah, I wasn't able to watch that game in its entirety. Okay. I was I was out for most of the afternoon, but um, but by and large, the broader point here is that yeah, we're I, not I, seeing, and that was something I suspected is they would adjust. These are professionals; they would adjust and they would get used to it because that is their job and they are good at it. And the thing too about the pitch clock, 
in the shorting time the shorter time spans it's less about the time i think and more about like how it feels like time goes by right we're yes. like those that's the bigger thing because we you and i we love baseball we love watching baseball it's more that i think everyone likes watching baseball they just wanted to feel like it was moving like it's just the actual in the moment type deal where you're like i don't care if it's three hours if it feels like it if it feels like one the problem right. was it was three hours and it felt like five because you had yeah. these there's a lot of dead yeah. time yes and for sure the pitch clock does seem to have again we're losing half an hour a game but it, it doesn't really feel like we've lost anything in terms of the game itself yeah. it's just it's all moving faster and I think that's something definitely that takes some getting used to. I know personally my internal clock for baseball is, oh, I have all day between pitches. You know, I can just mm. browse my phone. I can look at something on my laptop. I can, you know, do whatever it is I want to do, Can't only do to realize, now. like, no, I have, like, 20 seconds. And, like, mm. then it's – so the pace of it has been a little – it's taken some adjustment for sure, but I think that's it, – it's something that we're all probably going to get used to pretty quickly because – it is uniform. It isn't a case where just one team happens to be faster at this or, you know, some pitchers get to be slower. Everything. No, everyone is locked into the same thing. And that's also part of, I know there's been some discussion already uh, from a variety of places of, you know, do we want to keep this as a standard pitch clock all the time, you know, in bigger moments in the postseason, you know, isn't there an argument to be made for letting a little more time go so the players have a little more time to catch their breath, you know, to think about what's going on? fine i understand that but at the same time you know if you're going to introduce this you kind of have to hold to it you know because otherwise it's just you know w the more you do this the more we get used to it i think the more there is essentially no going back from it you know because yeah. people i think the one thing i will be interested to see and i know that this is you know i, I haven't been to a game in person yet and because uh, and I, had, I didn't see the wbc because the wbc was using the old rules but i am curious how it's going to affect the in-game experience for fans mm. and whether or not you know because essentially if you're a fan at a baseball game uh <clears throat> you know we're saying you know you're losing a half hour but you're not losing any baseball but if you're a fan at the game you're losing a half hour of being there yeah and granted there you know there are caveats to that obviously some fans do not stay the entire game for them this means well now i have an opportunity to stay the entire game particularly if you've got kids and kids are you know, most small children are going to force you to leave that game early. Now you actually have a chance of staying a little bit longer and seeing a little bit more of the action. I think the flip side of that is, you know, it used to be if you went to get concessions during an inning break, you might miss half an inning while you're, you know, going to a stand, waiting in line, getting your food and getting back to your seat. There's a decent chance now you could miss a full inning of baseball <laughs> just by getting up to go get a hot dog. To say yeah. nothing of people like me who like to just kind of wander around the park sometimes or take a leisurely stroll on the concourse. Like, you're going to be missing a fair amount of baseball now if you do that. You know, this... John's baseball I think, stadium connoisseur over here. He, he's he's getting it all. But I just imagine John just going and his arms behind him, his back as he's strolling. I'm very much like an elderly Italian man, just kind of <laughs> shuffling along with my hands behind my mm -hmm. back, just kind of nodding at everything and like taking I, it all in, getting yeah, the just smells. stopping, stopping yeah. in front of the the the, ch the hamburger stand <laughs> and just watching them make hamburgers for like a minute and then moving on, but. I think part of this, though, is that the pitch clock stuff was very clearly about making the pace of the game improve, but primarily, I think, with regards to television, mm -hmm. in part because, you know, television is the biggest driver of revenue for Major League Baseball. They make more money off TV deals than they do off of anything else. So they want the game to be something that you can turn on at night and know, hey, I think kind of similar to soccer. Hey, you know, with soccer, it's like, I know exactly how long this game is going to last. 45 mm -hmm. minute half. 10-minute or 15-minute halftime, 45-minute half, and we're out. 
Mm-hmm. I think baseball wants something a lot closer to that experience where you can plan in your head, hey, this is going to take less than three hours. You know, mm-hmm. I know I can, I'm going to be able to start this game at seven. It's going to be over before I decide to go to bed because I need to be up the next morning for work or school or whatever it happens to be. I don't know how much that, how well that works with the in-person experience, particularly because there are a lot of stadiums, cough, Yankee Stadium, that are really, really unbelievably bad at getting people into the stadium, literally through the gates, into the stadium, into their seats in anything approaching a reasonably quick fashion. Hmm. So that's another thing that I think fans need to be on the kind of on, uh, have to keep in mind is, you know, how early do you now want to be getting to a ball game if you know that you're going to have to go through security, you're going to have to go through lines, it's going to take you time to find your seat, you know? If you roll up at five minutes before first pitch, you're probably going to miss the entire first inning, if not maybe a good chunk of the second in the process. Mm. So that, I think, is going to be an adjustment. I know this is that we're kind of a far afield now from the overreaction stuff. I mean, part of me, I, I think part of me is just like I've just been in baseball media long enough to feel like my brain just doesn't let me do this anymore, where I just watch mm. April baseball and I'm like, I can't react to any of this, except unless it's the Red Sox or unless it's someone getting hurt. Because not... It, not that April doesn't matter, mm. but it there is that feel to it of like none of this is really set in stone yet. You know, none mm. of this is really, like everyone's still kind of finding their feet. It's funny we're gonna we're gonna talk about the Dodgers, and I was looking at Trey Turner or Trey Turner Trace Thompson's stat line. Mm. He's got a slugging percentage close to eleven hundred, but that's because he has three home runs. Yeah, and those three home runs are his only three hits on the season. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not you know it's. For me, it's kind of like the overreaction, I guess, is like, I don't know. Is it an overreaction to say that the Rays are a really good baseball team, given that they're off to yeah. a perfect start? You know, is it an overreaction? I, I think maybe maybe the overreactions usually go in the other direction, where it's like the Phillies are one in four. You know, yeah. are they really bad? Did we all miss something? Or is this just a random five-game stretch where they happen to play poorly, but it also just happens to come at the start of the season? And I think for other teams, it's a little bit easier to say, you know, hey, this five-game stretch at the beginning of the season is indicative of something, like the Red Sox, as opposed to, hey, this is just a bad five-game stretch, like the mm-hmm. Phillies. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the Phillies more, too, but the, the, the vibe I kind of get is that, like, if you're a bad team and you get off to a bad start, I think you can overreact in that direction because you were already kind of expecting this to be a bad team. And I think similarly, if you're a good team and you get off to a good start... Obviously, no one's going to come out here and say that, you know, the Braves or the Rays are going to win 120 games, except for you. But <laughs> I think there's a feeling of, yeah, this team is doing as well as expected because they turns out they actually are a good team. Probably something, I think if you want to make the overreactions, it's probably find one of those teams kind of in the middle that we weren't really mm. sure about and say, oh, these guys look much better than expected or these guys are doing way worse than we expected. You know, Are and, we sure the Reds or Pirates can't win the NL Central? Look, it's the NL Central. Clearly, no mm. one cares. But... <laughs> Oh, hold on. Marmel cares. Well, if, I mean, if you want an over, if you want Tyler a real, O'Neal, get out of here, sir. Let's get let's get a real good overreaction coming mm-hmm. a- after today's Pirates win over the Red Sox. After they finish sweeping the Red Sox, <laughs> a projected last place team sweeping another projected last place team. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen has an ERA under two in twenty innings with a strikeout rate of twenty six percent. That's great. Do the Pirates actually have, like, one of the best bullpens in baseball? And that's an interesting thing because I don't really think anyone can say definitively right now yes or no. I think it's probably Mm. easier to lean toward no, they do not. But, you know, because, again, we're talking of a sample of just 20 innings for, like, seven different guys. But at the same time, these are the kinds of things, I think, that when they pop out, instead of being like, oh, the Rays are 5-0, and what do we make of that? Well, the Rays are good, and they also got to start their season with Detroit and Washington. Or 5-1, and whatever it happens, whatever the Rays happen to be. Mm -hmm. Um... Whereas the Pirates' bullpen just performing well, 
well, now that's something interesting now, isn't it? Who are the guys in this bullpen who are performing well? And I think maybe maybe that's the case, too, is to kind of look on the individual level and be like, ooh, who are the guys doing super well right now? Part of the problem there, too, also is that, like, you know, it's been six games or seven games or however it's been for most of these guys. You know, I was looking at uh, Max Muncy's baseball savant page. He has exactly nine batted balls. Mm. Nine. Like, nine. Like, you usually can't make any judgments really of any sort until about 50 batted balls or so. There's a lot of talk mm. about, you know, when can you start believing the stats? And I think the stickiest stat is uh, swing rate, all the various stats mm. that are around swing rate. And usually you want to get at least like 30 or 40 plate appearances deep into those before you start really looking. Mm. So I think, you know, I feel like I'm not being fun with this, though. I feel like you're, what you're, you're, you're looking for something crazy here. You're looking for some you're real... You're fangrafty. You're too fangrafty now, John. I'm, I'm That's too, what's happened. I'm too immersed in this world of geeks and stats too and being smart, reasonable. Yeah, everyone's reasonable. Everyone's reasonable. And it's smart and it's good. But I think I, I think part Could of what we launch in there into fan graphs, just the take fan graphs guy like that would no, just we, be so jarring to so I many need, readers. If y'all I decide. need to resign from fan graphs and start mm. take graphs where it's just oh. nothing but red hot <laughs> takes all the time based on absolutely nothing but my own personal intuition. I love take graphs. No one get that uh, domain. That's no, John's, we're gonna. That's gonna be only. that's gonna be our new regular uh, our new regular segment. Take graphs where I just unleash the dumbest possible take off the last week of baseball. John, based can off you of do this? Absolutely nothing. This is I an amazing like idea. This. I kind of like this idea this now. Is... Take graphs. I love take graphs. I like, gotta make sure it's not gonna get me sued, which I don't. Actually I think it's know like dumb Starbucks, me. right? Like take yeah, basic. I mean, that's also, basically you the work idea, for them. Right? Like you can. I feel like you can ask this one. Be like, can we be take graphs? Like this is fine. It's I all do in like, good fun. It's not I do negative. like that idea. Actually, here's an overreaction. If the Blue Jays can't get their rotation in order, they are not going to make the playoffs. Mm. There we go. And part of that is the two main issues they have right now are Chris Bassett's coming out throwing like two miles an hour under <laughs> his average velocity, which is a problem. Mm. And Jose Barrios clearly is not better. Like, Mm-mm. And that's one thing, too, where I think it's easier to, be, to feel like you're overreacting there because it's like this isn't like based off of one bad start. Like. This isn't based off, like, you know, Jacob deGrom having a terrible opening day start and going, he's finished, he's done, his arm is trash. Like, no, he came back today and he struck out 11 guys in six innings. He's still Mm -hmm. Jacob deGrom, as it turns out. But Barrios is doing exactly what we saw last year, exactly what we saw in the WBC, and exactly what we saw in spring training. Throwing a billion hittable fastballs right down the pike with no real chance of success on them. So... I think, you know, I don't remember when we talked about the Blue Jays, how much, if at all, we talked about, you know, the back of that rotation is kind of eh, like it's there's some potential yeah. issues there. We were just like, the offense is too good. Like the offense, the is offense is great. Good. The offense yeah. is very clearly great. But this was a problem, I think, for the Blue Jays going into the season was Barrios and potentially then uh, also the fifth starter, which right now is you say Kikuchi, who pitched mm-hmm. OK against the Royals. But the Royals are a very bad offense, so I don't know how much you can take out of that. And at the same time, like Bassett, I think was kind of the hinge there. Bassett, I think, was mm-hmm. one where it's like, if Bassett is good, this team will be fine. If Bassett struggles, this team is in real, real trouble because they only have really two reliable starters right now. It feels like in Alec Manoa and Kevin Gaussman. So there, there, there's my overreaction that if the Blue Jays uh, cannot find, cannot get better starting pitching than what they've gotten so far, they will not make the playoffs. But you know what's funny? That doesn't even feel like an overreaction. That just feels true. Like, that's just the case. Like, if you only have two good starters out of five, you're probably not going to make the playoffs. This is incredible. Like, John is out here workshopping and getting closer and closer to coming out with his over. Mets are going to be a last place team. Let's let's go with that one. <laughs> it's, it's that's like not actually possible because the Nationals are an absolute disaster. Oh, my goodness. 
Oh, well, CJ Abrams just made another error while we were recording this podcast. Aww. Uh, Atlanta kid, but man, that he struggled in that opening weekend. That kid. It's, it's really something when bad teams force players to yeah. do stuff that they're just clearly not capable of doing. And someone in the Nationals organization is clearly like, no, he can do this. Let's just... I understand the idea that it was very Mondesi to me. Remember Mondesi got called up super quick and it was all over. He just loses all of his confidence and he just never really recovered. Part of me thinks I I understand the idea of let the guy fail off the position, you know, Mm. give him the challenge. And if he doesn't meet it, then okay, you you reassess your options and move forward. But when you have pretty much every evaluator in in agreement that this dude is just not a shortstop, he's not going to be able to play the position. It's not where he should be. And the nationals are insisting on doing it anyway. I, I, this is, I think, a thing we've talked about with the Nationals, where it's like the decision-making process for that team. And granted, it's a mess right now because no one really seems to be in charge. And they're not and, selling until after the season, where you're like, well, they're not oh. selling until the Mason dispute with the Orioles is resolved, and yeah. that's been an ongoing court thing for the last decade, basically. I was gonna like, say when I saw that, I was like, that can't be a sticking point because I don't think that's getting resolved. Like, I don't know. Thing has I, been. Are you just gonna hold the team hostage for years? Essentially, like, I mean, that's what this whole Mason thing has been for the longest time, and there's no real mm. reason that the Orioles are just gonna, unless something weird happens with the Orioles. And granted, Orioles ownership is not exactly making itself sound has not exactly made itself sound good over the last year. Which is also weird. John I'm reading Angelus. the Joe Torre book with Verducci, the Yankee years, and reading in like the early part of like the Orioles are the obviously they were great in the ni- mid nineties and ninety five ninety six. And when the or when the Yankees won, and they didn't, I don't know who they beat in the World Series in '96. The team escapes me um, in that regard. So I'm I don't, not, no one can remember truly. I, like many of us forget. And the Orioles had the number two payroll. It's just it's like this thing. And then I'm just going back through it. It's like it's just hard to imagine that the Baltimore Orioles were this just this powerhouse and they spent mm-hmm. all this money. Well, because and now in 2023 they're like, look, we don't have the funds. Look, we don't, we can't do it. We can't uh, do anything this offseason. Um, well, I think Grayson Rodriguez. So maybe that's that's nice. It feels like a situation like with any other team where someone bought them and then passed it down essentially to their fail sons. Yeah, that Peter Angelos clearly cared more about baseball in Baltimore and about mm-hmm. fielding a winning team in Baltimore than John Angelos does. I don't think yeah. he really cares. I I, I kind of get the feeling that if the Orioles win, he'll be like, great, that's great. And if the Orioles mm-hmm. don't win, he'll be like, whatever. As long as I didn't spend too much money in the process. You know, that that is the vibe I get off of John Angelos. And one of those things that makes, again, w- one of those dangers of having one of those owners where their plan is just to give it to their family, to give the team to the family eventually. You don't know what you're going to end up with. You know, you don't know if you're going to end up with a Kendall Roy in charge. The best case Schiff, scenario for those are they're not, Roman, they, is that they're not interested and they just hire well. Is yeah. they're just like, I don't want to be involved, like, but here's the keys, Brian Basically. Cashman, here's the keys, insert then, smart mind here. And but I'll then more likely, checks. more likely is you end up with a guy like Chris Illich. Yeah. Who just not only doesn't care, but doesn't want to spend the money involved to make the team. Like, it's one of those things where then sell it, then yeah. sell the team. Like, you almost want to tell the Angelos family, if you really, like, if you're really this unpleasant about Baltimore, then just sell the team already. Like, what are you, what are you holding on to this for? But anyway okay there's my overreaction the orioles are gonna get sold uh, that's not even an overreaction to anything that's just me just not liking the angelos family but anyway i love it john 
um one week team study series so we're gonna do two a week um okay. and just kind of check in on those two particular teams and what's going on how they did and how they fared the dodgers four and two you mentioned trace mm-hmm. thompson three homers uh slugging really well we joked about it in the offseason we're like are they really going to trace thompson it's like oh because it's the yeah. dodgers and they're just like well they they're, they're gonna do dodger things they always just, do dodgers things they always do dodger things uh how have they looked and your positives and negatives uh through six games for la well, I think if you want to if you want to look at the positives and, you know, we talked a lot about how, you know, with the, the losses the Dodgers had this offseason, the fact that they weren't really all that active in the free agent market, that you're looking at guys like James, like Thompson and James Altman and Miguel Vargas and being like, you, you sure that's what you're going to go with? Like, that's mm-hmm. what you want in your lineup? It turns out the Dodgers know what they're doing with that regard. James Altman looks like a viable caliber major league hitter at the very least against right-handed pitching. Miguel Vargas turns out he has a very good eye at the plate. He's got a walk rate over 50% right now, which... Obviously, it's not going to hold for the entire season. He's not Barry Bonds, but, you know, it, it shows that there is something, some level of talent there that is legitimate. I think similarly, mm-hmm. you know, with Thompson, it's like he's never been a guy who's been known to be a patient guy at the plate, but he's always had a ton of power in his bat. He's always been, you know, a, a, you know had a quick bat, and you saw that with the three home runs against Arizona. But I think, you know, similar to the Rays, I think the Dodgers are one of those teams that, you know, if even if the ingredients are subpar, so to speak, or even if it's not all stars all around the diamond, they're still so adept at finding the combinations of guys who essentially put together work in that capacity. Just either it's platoons everywhere, or either it's taking advantage of some level of like, you know, defend like some defensive inefficiency to put a guy somewhere where he's better than what he looks like, or it's something like, you know, whatever it happens to be, that is what the Dodgers excel at. It's making not just, you know, not just fielding all-star teams whenever they feel like, but also making chicken salad out of whatever chicken shit they happen to have been handed. Mm. So, and I think, you know, the other the other side of things with the Dodgers is when you look at them and, and, and what they've done so far is, oh, the pitching is good. That's right. The pitching is good. They have Julio Rios and Dustin May and Clayton Kershaw. Those guys are good. Mm. Granted, like, the issue that we're going to run into there is Kershaw is inevitably going to be hurt at some point in the season. May is, you know, coming back off Tommy John surgery. Urias has never been the, the greatest pitcher of 30. durability. Noah Syndergaard, okay, you say 30 like it's 50. I'm like, and I know you're past Hold that on, point, John, too. I turned 32 in I, two weeks, so I, I, I'm just saying, Syndergaard is, he's, he's he's now in the 30s. He's now in the 30s, and the velocity clearly is not there, I think, the way mm-hmm. we, we were all kind of expecting when the Dodgers signed him, but he still, you know, he showed that he could get by without the velocity. They have a, mm-hmm. a, a plethora, a passel, a large contingent of great young guys in the minors. They have Michael Grove up right now, uh, Ryan Pepio eventually when he comes back from injury, Gavin Stone. You know, there is just clearly so much talent still on this roster and in that system. And it's guys like Vargas and Altman who are just pulled out of the minors. I mean, Vargas, granted, was a a very high prospect for them. Altman, less so. Um, The thing I'll be interested in going forward for them is when it comes to guys like Thompson or Jason Hayward or... Uh, JD Martinez, you know, those kind of older guys or guys who are more kind of considered to be, you know, reserve players, bit players, you know, they're going to be asking a lot from those guys over the course of the season. I know I just said, you know, they get they do such a good job out of kind of creating these these viable kind of combo players or, or you know, platoon options. But at a, to a certain degree, like that's also reliant on like 33 year old Jason Hayward, who hasn't hit basically since 2017. Like, mm-hmm you know, them being the guys to fix him. Because otherwise, it doesn't really matter who you platoon Jason Hayward with if he hits like he did with the Cubs. You're just not going to get nearly enough value out of that. Similarly, it's not really going to matter, you know, uh, how what, what your DH rotation is if J.D. Martinez just isn't hitting. And so far, he's hit okay, but, 
you know, th- those are all the things to keep an eye on. Is like, I think you know, when it comes to the Dodgers, when it comes to u- utilizing those non All Star players, is this, the floor is always lower with those guys. And I think what the Dodgers, what we're waiting to see with the Dodgers is, well, you know, can they keep that floor high enough? You know, basically just, you know, is it, can they keep the floor high enough to get at least like league average or functioning production out of those guys? Or are they going to have to be patching holes later on in the season? Like injuries obviously will play a part in that. And that's, you know, true for the pitching staff as well. But, you know, so far, so good. So far, the guys, the Dodgers were going to rely on, despite the fact everyone was going, Ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. So far, they've been reliable. And that's, you know, that's going to be what has to continue for them to, to keep this up. I mean, obviously, also I just it- guess with them, what's going to happen, my gut is like, basically, they're going to bat, they're going to ping pong, where Hayward and Thompson and guys like that are going to have these hot starts, and they're going to have a great month. And then it's like, you look, oh, look at the dog. Yeah, look I just the- figured, I figured it'd be a nice distraction. But continue. there you go. What is his name or her name? Ezra. Ezra. There I like go. the idea that people listening to this cannot, like, they all they heard is just, just like, oh, look at the dog, as if you were just looking out your own window or something. Well, there are people watching, John, oh, there are on YouTube, watching. so they'll see this. And this is going to be the Chase Thomas podcast out of context here um, that's, that's for wonderful. this week. But look at Ezra. Very sleepy. Very yeah, sleepy. Oh, he's a, well, he's a sleepy old man. Why do our dogs go to sleep when we do podcasts? It's not a good sign. Well, the, our voices soothe them, clearly. Let's let's hope that's the case. Because... Um, Khaleesi is passed out next to me. Um, I think what will happen is they just ping pong where it's like certain guys and then Muncie and Freeman has this power surge this month and the power's back and he's hitting. And then it's like, uh Oh, Miguel Rojas is hitting and then he falls off a cliff and then it's like, Hayward's back and Hayward has a great, that's what I think they're counting on. It's just, they're going to do enough with their pitching. They're going to do enough with the bullpen. They have their stars. Mookie's going to get to that MVP level. Freeman's going to be fine. And then they're just hoping that those kind of role player veterans just alternate getting hot and cold at different times of the year. I think that makes sense. And I think obviously, you know, so much of what the Dodgers, you know, rely on isn't just like, oh, can we pair James Outman and Trace Thompson into a viable platoon? It's also, is Max Muncy healed? You know, mm-hmm. is his elbow okay? Is he is he going to be able to hit the ball hard? And like, you know, all of that is still TBD, but... So much of what the Dodgers do is going to be, you know, reliant on those non-Mookie bets, non-Freddie Freeman guys, non-Kershaw guys to be able to produce at least league average, uh, to be able to give at least league average production and ideally way better than that. On the flippity flop, the Philadelphia Phillies. On the Philadelphia flop. Oh, the Philadelphia flop. The flippity. Many are saying, how have they not used that? I hope the the local newspaper have used that that Philly flop to start this year um, because of the way this season has started. One and five out of the gate here. Um, A mess all across the board, John. But the positives and the negatives for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, The positive is that none of these games were at home so that no one could burn the stadium down. (laughs) I mean, and this is this is the thing we talk about where it's like you don't want to overreact to one week of baseball, especially like when it comes to a Phillies team where, look, two of their losses were because Aaron Nolan and Zach Wheeler got their brains beat in. Is that yes, something you expect to continue for the entirety of the season? Barring something that none of us understand or know about? No, those two guys mm-hmm. will be fine. They just happen to have two bad starts right next to one another at the beginning of the season. You know, I'm more concerned about stuff like, you know, the fact that they lost Reese Hoskins so late in spring training no real ability to replace him. The first attempt that they tried with that with Derek Hall not only didn't work, but Hall, I mean, I just didn't say didn't work. It's only been like six games, but he is now hurt, and the Phillies are going to have to go to someone else. They're calling up Cody Clemens. I cannot imagine Cody Clemens is actually going to get any level of a of, of long run, but 
the first base is going to continue to be an issue for this team until and unless they find a suitable replacement for Hoskins. I don't think it's going to be Derrick Hall or Derrick Hall or whatever. I, I, I like hearing in my head as Derrick Hall, but either way, that, that was already going to be a problem for them. And I do wonder how much of this, too, is a combination of kind of World Series hangover and also just the kind the, the, the sheer negative just heaviness of, man, we lost our starting first baseman like two days before the season started. That's a rough one to come back from psychically. That clubhouse probably is not the most joyful place in that regard. Yeah. Um, but some of this, too, is just going to be a matter of, like, you know, again, as as with the Dodgers, as with so many other teams, what are you going to get out of your non-star performers? Mm. And for the Phillies, that was already going to be asking a lot with Bryce Harper down. It's asking all that much more with Reese Hoskins down. Uh, you know, you have to see now, obviously, what can you get out of first base? You're hoping you can get more out of, you know, Nick Castellanos in right field. Your hope or, you know, whoever it happens to be in right field. I mean, he's been bad. That's something to monitor. He's not good out of the gate. That outfield looks like if Kyle Schwarber has a down year and that like he doesn't have the kind of year that he had last year and Bryce Harper obviously not being there. You're like, I don't know, man. This is one of the the. This is a pretty ugly outfield, and then it you is. already have the and, first base hole. And that's something we talked about last season, too, when, when Harper initially hurt his elbow and basically had to spend the rest of the year DHing, was that this outfield defensively stinks. Yeah. You know, it's very bad because of Schwarber and Castellanos in the corners. And it's, you know, it's something you can live with that Castellanos is hitting. It's completely untenable if he's not. And I think you're right that Castellanos is probably the Phillies hitter we need to pay the most attention to for the course of mm-hmm. April. Because if he gets off to another slow start, or if it's clear that, you know, he's lost something bat speed wise, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of being able to hit fastballs, in terms of being able to hit whatever it is he's, he's, you know, trying to do, we're in, like, the Phillies are in for a bad time. They're, they cannot really, that lineup is so thinned out right now with Harper and Hoskins both down, they cannot really make do with cut with Castellanos being a total non-entity as well, you know. That mm. Phillies team got where it got last year because it had Harper and Hoskins all year. And even though they weren't, you know, they weren't MVPs by any stretch, they were still way better than what the Phillies could have run out otherwise. Mm. Something similar, I think, is the lack of position player depth right now, which is really kind of hurting the Phillies. I think when you look at, you know, granted, Christian Pache, the the, the lamented former Brave, mm-hmm. as good an option as you could ask for in terms of a guy to step into center field and, and hold a glove for, like, two innings at the end of a game. Yeah. But not really the guy you want to be your primary backup outfielder because he just cannot hit, you know? Sad. And, it, and it makes you question whether or not the trade where Philadelphia sent Matt Veerling and Phil Maton to the Tigers for, for mm. uh, Gregory Soto, I think everyone more or less thought it was a pretty good deal at the time. The Phillies needed some bullpen depth, you know, and, and very clearly, you know, I, I think the gamble on Craig Kimbrell has not really looked very good so far. I can understand the desire for Soto, but they really did sacrifice some really useful bench depth in that deal, and I think that's already starting to come back to bite them a bit. Well, that's why you draft Mickey Moniak number one overall for these type of scenarios. (sighs) And I think this is also the thing where, again, like the Phillies' depth has just been impacted by the fact that they just have not done a good job drafting and developing players in the last five or so years. And I think that's where something like, you know, when you do have a success like Veerling, you know, it you know, ideally, yeah, you, you trade that, maybe you trade that guy to help you somewhere else, but I think in retrospect, you know, I, I do wonder if Dave Dombrowski's thinking, man, I kind of wish I'd actually held on to my right-handed hitting backup outfielder who could play center field and actually knew what to do with when holding the bat, as opposed to, we have to roster Christian Pache all year now, or otherwise we're going to lose him again, or we're going to lose him, which, I I mean, I don't know if Christian you know Pache what's happening right now? Dom April, is but... calling Colorado 
over and over again. He's like, all right, I understand Chris is loving the vibes. I, I love, I, but like we, it, Bryce needs him. I need him. He needs I to play a corner outfield spot for us. Like it, anything, it just has to happen. No way. No way Chris Bryant wants to go to Philadelphia and deal with any of that. He made his, he made himself pretty clear when he decided to take Colorado's money. That he was just done with But the like, whole, I just like, imagine Bryce is like, come on, man. Come on. Yeah, the Vegas like, to Vegas connection. Yeah, like then he, they got to go after Joey Gallo in Minnesota and make it ultimate. <laughs> I don't know. I, I look, Dombrowski is one of my favorite GMs of the last 20 years because he's just such a different kind of general manager. And he's obviously had a lot of success. Uh, he's also just blown up franchises for the, the long term with this strategy. But I like it because it's different. Look, you don't hire Dave Dombrowski unless you're going to spend money yes. and destroy your farm system. Correct. You know and what you're what? getting. In that Phillies exchange. aren't developing. So it's like I am very curious to see what he does if this slow start continues into june because well at Dom least there, is, he's not going to be patient they're going to no, do some and, other big thing and for the like you can argue the, the phillies are de- developing on the pitching side with andrew painter and mick abel yeah. and griff mcgarry but obviously with painter down for indefinitely at least with that elbow sprain you know that was one of the big potential death pieces that the phillies were ideally looking to add at some point during the season was one of the best pitching prospects in baseball yeah. that's probably not going to be the case this season or at very least not until late in the season so I think you're right, though. I think Dombrowski is not a guy to sit on his hands if things aren't working. And I think that, you know, again, a a team to keep a very close eye on because the other part of this, too, is that with Atlanta off to a hot start and with the Mets obviously being a talented team and with the Marlins being there present and at the very least. I mean, just come on, folks. Like, this is not keeping up with the Marlins. Like, this is. But I think that the Phillies really, you know, I I didn't pick them to win the East and I, I, you know, I don't expect them to win the East. But at the same time, like, they can't let themselves fall too far back in that division because they don't want to be in a position where you have to win a wild card to make the postseason. I think that was already going to be the case for them. Yeah. But I don't think you want to have to accept that by, by you know, Mother's Day that yeah. you have already put yourself into. Well, we've, we've lost the division, you know? <laughs> well, the season's over, just like the family guy gave. Um, last big national thing, John. Um, the Rays, 6-0 and now. Uh, yes. Like, just really bonker stuff. So, they obviously uh, carved up uh, the Red Sox. Um, Rays have outscored their opponents. I saw this on Twitter. 27-5 uh, to 5 in their first four games. So, that was how they... And the Buff Sox staff allowed 30 runs in those four games. Oh, wait, they John, played... No, the Rays played Detroit to start the season. All right, okay, Detroit. Um, A very bad Tigers team. There you was. go. Um, and then Rays baseball has played five games, or this was the tweet uh, yesterday. They played five games this year. They have won all five by at least four runs. The only other team in MLB history with a streak that long to begin a season was the St. Louis Maroons in 1884, and they did it 13 straight. I mean, the Rays are, look, I we can play the tape. I had the Rays uh, winning the AL East before the year where I'm like, this is a classic bounce back race where everyone's going to talk themselves into the Blue Jays and the Yankees and Hey, the Orioles. And then you saw a little bit of that buzz of like, are we sure the Red Sox might just not overachieve here? They will not. They will not overachieve John. No. The Rays are just sitting here with like their aces at the top playing great uh, baseball all across the board. Like they have their dudes. They develop well pitching's electric and i'm like nah the rays are gonna be awesome the rays i think this is not an overreaction to say the rays are one of the best teams in baseball and i think this is pretty pretty scary stuff right i don't think that's an overreaction if all the health holds i think one particular thing is wander franco being healthy for a full season would be such a huge thing for that team yes 
we people forget. I, I hate using that ex- <laughs> that construction, but people forget. Uh, he's only 22 years old. Yes. You know, he is a phenomenal baseball player. There was he's so a good reason. the Rays paid early. Like, the <laughs> Rays were like, the Rays paid this man. <laughs> like, there's a reason this man was the number one prospect in baseball, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, two times over, you know, mm-hmm. before he before he came to the majors. So, it, it's going to be that, and I think it's also going to be, you know, the pitching and what they can get out of that if everyone could stay healthy there. I mean, last year, the Rays were a fine team. They just had to deal with the fact that everyone got hurt, and they just... Even a team with as much depth as the Rays just can't survive if you're losing a starter basically every week. And that was yeah. more or less what was happening to them. So I think a Rays team with a healthy Wander Franco, a healthy Brandon Lau, a healthy pitching staff, a healthy bullpen, that team that team goes far. You know, yeah. that team that team is a winner. Um They're you know, the World only, Series favorite. Like the Astros are banged up, they're struggling out of the gate. We'll see. It's it's really end. notable with Houston. Look at the bottom half of that lineup. It is really thin, really yeah. fast for them. And they that's a team that needs Jose Abreu to kind of continue to be Jose Abreu essentially. They cannot afford for this to be essentially the first year of him teetering over the cliff because yeah. you know, they they are not in position to to survive that kind of offensive uh drop off. But I, I definitely think Tampa has Tampa has gotten off to a great start, and I think Tampa has shown that, you know, again, a healthy Rays team, granted a healthy Rays team that got to face two of the worst teams in baseball right off the bat, <laughs> but nonetheless, a healthy Rays team is a genuine contender for the division and also for the World Series, and I think, you know, I, I think that's what we're going to see going forward, so long as they stay healthy. John, we have to do this. Uh, you're 60 seconds on the Red Sox roundup. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I don't know what there would have been to expect from a team that started Corey Kluber twice in the first week, like on purpose. Uh, who is Corey Kluber, who is topping out, I believe, at around 88 or 89 miles an hour now, which is great. Um, look, there's a reason every major projection system said the Red Sox were going to be at best a 500 team. And I think mm-hmm. you've seen it so far in what they've played. They have a bad pitching staff. They have a bullpen with not very much depth. They have a lineup that really gets thin in the in after the you know from the bottom down or the bottom half of the lineup is still pretty thin. They are fund like they and I say fundamentally I mean just the simple baseball fun. They're bad at fundamentals. They're mm-hmm. bad at fielding. They're bad at base running. At a certain point, and I, I you know I mean I don't want to overreact to a week of baseball, although I do. But at a certain point, you kind of have to wonder. It's like what exactly are the Red Sox doing? Because it doesn't feel this does not feel like a team that is any different from the from from 2022 right now. Mm-hmm. This feels like the exact same team with some slightly diff- with some different players, but the same end result, which is they're not good. They don't have good pitching. They don't play good defense, and it's a feast or famine offense that you know goes dead for long stretches of time and then randomly erupts at others. So I don't know. I mean, look again, projected to be a last place team for a reason. Not doing anything to suggest that that's not going to be the case. Yeah, it's bad, John. It's not great. I think the season's over. I don't think we're getting the Red Sox being average. I think this is just going to be a really bad. Like I said, team. 500 at best with real significant downside if there's poor health or if guys underperform. You know, so I, I might think have the worst rotation in baseball. It's really close. I mean, I think Colorado is still worse, and I mm. think Detroit is probably worse, and I think no, really the National- scraping the bottom. No, I think of the I think here. the na- but that's the thing. Like, I think the Nationals' rotation is worse. But you're right. Like this is the bo- these we're talking about the worst teams in baseball right now, and the Red Sox have a rotation that's right there with them. I mean, 500 at best. But look, if this you know if this kind of play continues, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if this team loses 90 or more games because this is there is just not a lot of talent at the major league level right now, and it's there kind of in bits and pieces. Do you know who's not going to lose 90 games this year, John? The Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves are 
really good at baseball. Um, yes, they are. They're a very smart, very well-run franchise. They are. And Spencer Strider has like a 40% K percentage. Like I watched this whole start on, on what, Saturday uh, against the Nats. And the dude's an animal. Like everyone I've heard nationally and like even Braves fans, I wonder if they feel this way. Like obviously Kyle Wright's not ready out of the gate. Um, Strider only has his couple of pitches, but like he is so confident and he is scaring the hell out of these guys. Like uh, just as batters, he's just ferocious. Like that man is an animal. He personifies 99. He is going at dudes. He is. I think it's the mustache. I think it's the mustache, but it's also like Freed who got hurt with the cold and the hamstring and they're being cautious. So I think he'll be back in a couple weeks, but you don't want to mess with that and have it tear. And then you're like, oh, he's gone for the year. Um, Too important. But I will say, like, who's the ace? Ace? It's like, it's Strider. I think people are yeah. just nervous to say that because it's like Freed's been consistent and been the guy long longer. But I'm like, I mean, I think no, you could if argue... I have to pick anyone in this rotation or I have to pick one Brave for a one-game wild card or World Series, it's like, no, it it's Strider. And I don't really think it's close. That man is on another level. I think you could argue that when Freed is back and healthy, you, they're, they're co-aces, but I, I totally get what you're saying. Like, the, the dude has ace stuff, ace mentality, ace per, ace performance. Like, you know, he, he's a number There's one pitcher. There's some Garrett Cole to him. There's, there is some Garrett Cole there, but he, he very much is a number one pitcher, and the Braves are very lucky that they have him. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you're not going to believe this, John. Marcelo Zuna still stinks. Like, uh... What a shocker. <laughs> what, what a shock that a dude who has looked just cooked beyond belief the last two seasons remains i think that you know not again not an overreaction but if a dude has looked bad the last couple seasons and starts the season also looking bad i think it's fair at that point to say maybe things are not going to get better like again it's you know i i don't want to overreact too much to good or bad one way or the other but i think it's easier for guys like barrios or ozuna where it's like no this still looks like the same problems you were having last season like nothing has changed Uh uh-oh you know? Yeah, he's just, he's awful. And it's, he's gotten 16 plate appearances and it's just, it's not, he's not making it to June. I'm just going to go ahead and put it on, out there. Uh, he will not be in a Braves uniform in the next two months. Like this is, uh, he will be DFA'd uh, sooner rather than later because this is just, uh, this is atrocious. But it, yes. it helps too that Rosario's hitting. But um, I will say the one thing, and this is like one of those bigger, like Matt Olson's going to be a wild ride this year. Like, he has a 50% K rate, basically. And you watch him, like, every time Matt Olson, my guy, is up, it's either a home run or a strikeout. That he feels is, right. He is, like, just leaning into that altogether. But I don't like that at the two-hole, John. Like, I don't like the lineup construction. And it sounds silly because they're 6-1, and one, and, like, you have a Cooney at the top. But I would move him around. I don't like the Braves lineup. I would move Michael Harris up. I don't like him in that sixth spot. I... Travis Darno is awesome, and when he's in the lineup, I think he's going to continue. But like, I would move it around a little bit. I would move Olsen down because I don't. I just don't like the swing and for the fences or strikeout at number two, and Acuna obviously being a big home run guy and gets on base. But like, Michael Harris, I think fits that mold to me. Where I understand you want to give him too much too soon, but he's a great base runner. Put him on early. Um, I just. I don't know. I would adjust a little bit. Maybe you move Austin Riley to the two spot and then you put um, Matt Olson at that three spot. I, I don't know. I just, I don't like the lineup construction. I, I would move it around a little bit. I get that. And, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about Olson too, that, you know, that, you know, that propensity to strike out high up in the order can be a problem. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, it's Matt Olson. So I feel yeah. like, you know, it's beggars can't be choosers. Like the Braves are awesome. I'm not saying it's a panic situation, but I would 
tinker with that a little bit. Like Acuna just wanting to bat first all the time is kind of annoying because I'm like, I want him batting second forever. Like I would just prefer Acuna always in the two hole and Michael I mean, Harris I guess leading that. off. Like that's what I would prefer I in get a perfect that. world. But I, I don't that. think that's ever going to happen. I think Acuna has like a superstition about like batting leadoff. Like there's something too where it's like, nope, I'm only an MVP when I'm batting leadoff. I don't feel comfortable and I can't hit uh, when I'm not in the leadoff spot. So I could see that too. It is what it is. John Taylor, we in yes. here. Favorite Fangrass piece of the week. I got to give a shout out to Esteban Rivera, one of our contributors, who is a fantastic kind of uh, mechanics guy. If you've read him at Fangrass, you know what I'm talking about. He does a really great job breaking down pitching and hitting. He had a really good article this week about Anthony Volpe using the vault lead, uh, which is something that apparently is commonplace on high school and college baseball, but not so much at the majors. The what lead? The vault lead, a particular way of leading off bases in order to steal bases, where you basically hmm. take a little shuffle step after your primary lead. Huh. Uh, it's really good. It has some great gift breakdowns of how Volpe is doing this. It makes a really, essentially a really good case for how someone like Volpe, who has been pretty consistently graded as having, you know, not, not below average speed, but certainly not like elite speed, somewhere in hmm. that average to above average range, how he is such a good base runner and base stealer. I definitely encourage everyone to check that out. Go back and check out Esteban's other stuff, too. He wrote uh, during spring training a really good piece to on Jared Kalenic and how his swing looked better. Hasn't played out in real life so far, but hey, that's baseball. So uh, definitely give that one a look or give it a read, especially if you're interested at all in base running. Uh, similarly, Esteban also had a piece about catcher defense based on the new stat cast blocking above average uh, statistic hmm. that highlighted some really good blocking done by the top five names on that list. Uh, Esteban used to catch in college, so he had, huh. he brings some experience to that one and what to look for. So definitely recommend that. Uh, it's a little what I like about it, it's a little different flavor than what we normally do. Normally we're on the mm. statistical analysis, but this is something more concerned with you know mechanics and and uh, and stuff like that. So definitely check that out. We also have something on the Brave shortstop situation. Orlando Arcia, no, I saw it with that who yeah. may actually have been the best choice as it turns out. He's good, but I will say early like it's very early <laughs> it's very early like uh let's just see like he's been good for right now but let's just see and you extended him like i think the plan is still utility and to call up i, either th- I think that makes Brave. sense yeah. but i think what if you're brave fan who was worried that oh no like this is going to be a disaster like why not just von grissom i think mm. jake makes a pretty good case jake Mailhot, that is uh makes a pretty good case for why rc is the guy and also that grissom may not be the guy for quite a bit you know i think there's some genuine it seems like there's some genuine concern on atlanta's part to, like that he cannot handle the position defensively well, that means which, shoemake it's your <laughs> your job this summer which makes me wonder if you know if you're a braves fan do you really want Braden shoemake and his pretty much invisible bat there over arcia who seems to be at the very least average at both sides of the ball well that's why you bring back uh the dance swanson clone charlie culverson well, he is there back again, so... Yeah. Charlie Culberson, back. Charlie Culberson's season is back. Oh, man. Uh, You're hearing it more and more, folks. Goodness gracious. <laughs> My friend Charlie Culberson came to come to me with tears in his eyes. Big, strong man, Charlie Culberson, but he's crying. I need a I need the take graphs music when we do this because I I need to get some like is, oh, is just, there gonna be is there gonna be take graphs do we need to come up with like a jingle or something like we need like I want an electric guitar riff where it's like take <laughs> graphs and, yeah, yeah we need we need some like really dumb like like what the, what they play on the big dumb sports radio shows that are yeah. hosted by like Big Pete and the Booth <laughs> where it's like stupid drive time radio sound effects which is like after everything I say just hit a button and you can hear mm. a toilet flush like for some reason. <laughs> Speaking of flush, let's flush the Giants down the drain because it's over. Yeah, it's like it's the worst. 
we can we can make this podcast so much stupider is what i'm getting at like it, we have barely take scratched has so much potential like the merch alone just yeah, take we, grass i mean we've, sound we've, effects there's all kinds of stuff barely scratched the surface of our potential stupidity I there think. you go take graphs look out for that this this baseball season this is gonna we'll be, be great we'll be, doing, we'll be doing the takes we'll be doing the takes john taylor always a pleasure and i will talk to you next week sounds good this has been ingram radio voice of the atlanta braves and i'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the chase thomas podcast as a friend of the podcast i'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one to show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker, or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, that you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. You're, um, pleasantness you're smart so i think i'm going to hear big things about you nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah